1: FlushCare.com/slash/weightloss.
3: An Erio's original. Each week we decide who's to blame for a historical tragedy, and each week you tell us if we got it right. My name is Rebecca Delgado Smith, and this is the aftermath. the aftermath. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into this episode of the aftermath. Today we're speaking with guest expert. Dr. J. Stephen Edwards. Dr. Edwards is a historian and author. He earned a PhD in early modern European history with an emphasis on Tudor stuart England at the University of Colorado at Boulder. Dr. Edwards is the author of the website, Some Gray Matter, which features resources and articles about Lady Jane Gray. He is currently writing a book about the infamous nine-day queen, and you can check out his documentary, England's Forgotten Queen, The Life and Death of Lady Jane Grey, which he made for the BBC. Let's hear what he has to say about the life and execution of Lady Jane Grey. Hello, Dr. Edwards. Thanks for joining us today.
4: My pleasure. Glad to be with you.
3: Now, what drew you to the Tudors and particularly studying the nine-day queen?
4: Uh, Let me take the second question first. There was a movie that came out in 1986 called Lady Jane with Paramount Pictures. Helena Bottom Carter played Jane Grey. It was rubbish, <laughs> and you could kind of tell it was rubbish at the time. Uh, you could kind of tell that it was some political writer's attempt to disparage Margaret Thatcher and her tax policies using, you know, past history as the vehicle for that that argument. So I set about trying to figure out who the, quote, real Jane Grey was. And Love it. 20 years twenty years later, I'm still working on it.
3: <laughs> so could you start off by giving us uh, some context? Uh, what was the state of the English monarchy after Henry VIII's death? What did he do to leave it in, 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 in such a state of disrepair? <laughs> or whatever you think it might have been.
4: Well, it wasn't in disrepair. Um, He had done all he could to ensure that a male inherited the throne. Um, It's important to remember that this was a culture where women had almost no legal rights whatsoever. They were essentially the property of their husbands. So he wanted a a male on the throne. And, you know, we know the story of the six wives, um, you know, the what is it? Divorced, beheaded, divorced, beheaded, survived or something like that. Um, and Edward was the only legitimate son that he had, but he did have Edward. So when Henry died in 1480, 1547, January 1547, Edward became king, but he was only a child. Uh, but you know, the, the assumption at that point was that he would grow up. He had lived through the dangerous early years. So he would go on to grow up, get married, have children, and everything would be hunky dory. Unfortunately, it didn't turn out that way. So that's not Henry's fault in any way. It's just circumstances did not play out as people had hoped.
3: So meanwhile, who was Lady Jane Grey and what were her early years like?
4: Jane is the daughter of Francis Brandon Grey. And Francis Brandon Grey is in turn the daughter of Henry VIII's younger sister. So he, she is Henry VIII's nephew, niece. Sorry, niece. That makes Jane Grey Henry VIII's great niece. So basically, it's all one big family. Plus, Jane Grey, through her father, shares a female heir in common. Henry VII's wife, Elizabeth Woodville, was Henry Grey's great grandmother or great great grandmother. I have to count great-great-grandmother. <laughs> um, so Jane is doubly descended from, from both of, of Henry VIII's parents is what it boils down to. And her early years are not well-documented. We don't know what they're... And that, that's common for almost all children of the period. Unless you were the heir to the throne, Your your childhood was not well-documented, in part because children didn't survive you know, the high percentage of children did not live to adulthood.
3: So where did she grow up? And uh, when, when does, when do we start learning about her?
4: She almost comes onto the scene full grown. We do not know when she was born. We do not know where she was born. We do not know. Like most children, she was probably raised in multiple residences uh, the aristocracy did not live in one house all the time. They moved around, mostly for hygiene purposes. Houses got dirty <laughs> and they weren't they were and they you know they got filled with disease. Rats, that sort of thing. I mean, you have to remember that they, there were very, very, very little in the way of hygiene. There was no running water, there was no plumbing, there was no toilets. These places got filthy. So you basically had to move out of them and start over someplace else and let the other one air out for six months. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) So we don't begin to see her in the historical record, really, until she's probably about 12 or 13 years old. And then a few little stories pop up here and there, some of which are probably apocryphal. They were probably invented long after she was dead. She really hits the historical record around 1550-51. So she was probably 14 by that time. So
3: was she being, do you believe she was being groomed to be the next Queen of England or, or did she have different aspirations?
4: Well, Edward was the heir to, what Edward was on the throne already. So the only way she, conceivably that she would be Queen of England at that point was if she married Edward and became Queen Consort. And there certainly was an effort to do that. Uh, Henry Gray actually sold her guardianship to Thomas Seymour, the king's uncle, for the sum of 2,000 pounds, which was an enormous sum of money at that time. And Seymour promised to marry her to his nephew, the king. That ultimately did not occur. But was she groomed to be queen in her own right? No, definitely not. There was no anticipation that she would be queen in her own right. None.
3: How important was religion to Lady Jane Grey?
4: That is a, a a source of controversy as far as I'm concerned. It The general tradition is that Jane Grey was extremely pious, that religion, she was all about religion. Uh, my work challenges that. And my biography, actually, the biography that I'm, I have written of Jane Grey, challenges everything we know about her, from the date of her birth to where she was buried and everything in between. So I don't believe I don't believe the evidence supports the notion that she was in any way exceptionally pious. She was pious and attended to matters of religion in the way that everyone in her era did. But she was not exceptional in that regard. That reputation was deliberately constructed after her death by people that wanted to use her words in the service of religion.
3: So what is her story from based from your research? Uh, What did you learn about Lady Jane Grey?
4: How long have you got?
3: <laughs> uh, maybe 15 more minutes.
4: <laughs> that's, that's, that's a very, very open question. Um, I established a number of years ago, I established that she was not born in October of 1537. That is the, you know, if you look in the English, the Oxford Dictionary of National Biography, and you look at like her sort of official entry, it will say she was born in October 1537 at Bradgate period.
3: Uh-huh.
4: I've established that that's not possible. It's just not even possible.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Uh, she was probably born in the winter of 1536-37, sometime time between about November 1536 and April 1537, which makes her about eight months older than most people, you know, than tradition has. It. She's said to have been born at Bradgate. I believe she was born in London. I believe she was born very specifically at either Norwich Inn or the Barbican in London. And I have an entire, you know, obviously evidence and argument for that. Uh, Let's see. She's probably not as religious as most people. I mean, she was religious. Yes. But was she some sort of of hyper evangelical? No. Did she always go around dressed plainly in somber colors, black and gray and brown and no jewels and blah, blah, blah? No, she did not. In fact, one of her tutors, John Aylmer as late as 1551 was writing to another religious authority in an effort to get her to stop doing that. So there's actually positive evidence to the contrary on that particular tradition. Uh, She was exceedingly well educated. There's no question about that. Uh, She probably read eight languages which is a pretty significant accomplishment.
3: So at the time, you know, what was the rivalry between Catholics and Protestants in England? Uh, What religion were the majority of the people in the country?
4: That's another question that's extremely difficult to answer when you start talking about majority of people. Uh, It depends on what part of the country you're in. In part, the South and the East was more likely to be predominantly reformist. The North and the West were still traditionally Catholic. The, you know, Henry had altered the way that the church associated with Rome. It had said he had severed the church from Rome. Various officials had been appointed or gained authority and took the church, the English Church away from Catholic belief. And Edward VI had published the books of common prayer. They're still in use today. Uh, You know, that's the source of the the traditional marriage ceremony, forever hold your peace and all that stuff. That comes from the books of common prayer. But there was enough opposition to those books of common prayer that at least two large-scale rebellions broke out against it. So the nation was by no means settled on the issue of religion. It was still very much a contested arena.
3: What was Edward VI's reign like? And what was his relationship with his sisters, Mary and Elizabeth?
4: Uh, His relationship with his sister, Mary, was fairly contentious because she was staunch Catholic and he was, Edward was himself staunchly reformist. So they were at polar opposites as far as that's concerned. His relationship with his sister was probably a great deal more, more friendly because Elizabeth was a very politic individual that knew how to bend with the wind and, you know, go along to get along until she could do whatever she wanted to, you know, once she became queen. Um, Edward's reign, as I said, there were several rebellions. Uh, there were You know, he had a chief minister, Edward Seymour, until 14, uh, I'm sorry, 1549. Uh Seymour got booted out, John Dudley came in, but that's typical. You know, we, sometimes we look at that and, and historians will say, oh, this was an era of unrest, yada, yada. But if you look at other eras, the same thing is going on. People are continually vying for power and one upping each other and building coalitions. So it's just part and parcel, you know, same day, different verse.
3: So, who was John Dudley?
4: He was the descendant of a non-noble family. Uh, he was one of the new men of merit. He was someone who rose through the ranks because he was capable, not because of how he w- was born. He was not born into his job in the way that many people were. Uh, you know, in that era, if you were, for example, the Duke of Norfolk, the Duke of Norfolk has certain offices that 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 title carries with it to this day. To this day, the, the Duke of Norfolk is the Earl Marshal of England. God forbid if the Queen dies anytime soon, the Duke of Norfolk will arrange the new coronation for Charles. So, But Dudley did not have any of those inherited offices. He had to work his way up through sheer ability and skill.
3: And how does he become... Rela- how, how does this... His relationship with Lady Jane Grey, uh, progress. How does he come into the picture of her life?
4: Well, he had been in the picture of her life from the beginning. Uh, oh. Jane's father Henry Grey and John Dudley, when they were children, had been in the household of Henry Fitzroy, who was Edward the uh, Henry the Eighth's illegitimate son, and all of the principles, in fact, of the 1553 succession crisis were in Henry Fitzroy's household as children. So the two families knew each other. They were very well acquainted. Uh, They spent time in each other's company just as through court ceremonials, through socialization, whatever. So they knew each other and probably knew each other quite well.
3: So what is Lady Jane Grey's marriage like? Who does she marry and what was that relationship like?
4: Well, in in the spring of 1553, Edward VI became ill and it was pretty clear to everyone, including himself, that he was going to die. So and he was not married and had no children. So he had to make some sort of arrangement for the throne. Now, this is where my interpretation of Jane's story differs vastly from everybody else's. Edward VI, in and of his own volition, decided that he had to be followed by a male on the throne. There were no male heirs. His next eight heirs in the line of succession were female. So what do you do if you've got nothing but male heirs? then uh, Female heirs, I'm sorry. The next best thing is to marry one of those females to a suitable male, and that male will become king in right of his wife. And that is precisely what happened. Jane was married off to the first available highest ranked male. And that just happened to be Guilford Dudley. That's not, that's not scheming. That's just reality. Guilford's older brothers were already married. Guilford's father was a duke. Jane's father was a duke. There were no other dukes. So there were no other males of similar rank. She would have to, quote, marry beneath her if she were to marry anyone else. And that was not acceptable. So she was married to Guilford Dudley. And the plan was for Guilford Dudley to become king.
3: How does she take the news after Edward's death? Did she anticipate this would happen right after her marriage? Was this something that she knew could happen to her?
4: I believe she knew full well what was happening. Uh, All of these, there was a series of marriages created in May of 1553 that were intended to marry a female heir to a male and together... One of that big group of people, at least one, would hopefully produce a male child quickly to replace Edward. That didn't work out. Edward got sicker and sicker and died faster than anyone expected. So they had to uh, do the next best thing and make Jane the heir. But she was aware that that was happening. Her father knew, her father in law knew, everybody around her knew. There's no way that she did not know also. Traditionally, she's said to have known absolutely nothing at all until John Dudley told her on the 10th of July that she was queen. I don't buy that for a minute. For a girl who could read and write eight languages, we're expected to believe that she could not understand what was going on around her. I just don't buy that.
3: So what were her first few days of her rule like?
4: The same as it be, would be for almost any rule, actually. You know, she made a ceremonial entry into the Tower of London as every, every new monarch did. At that time, the tower had uh, a series of royal apartments. They're long since gone, um, but she took up residence in the royal apartments as Edward had done before her, Henry before him and Mary would do after. Uh, she you know, signed papers, appointed new officials, did all the usual thing. The only thing that is slightly different in her case is that they had to make a lot of military preparations in the event that Mary, Edward's older sister, were to pursue her own claim to the throne, which Mary ultimately did.
3: And how does Mary uh, overtake the throne just a few days later?
4: Through pure popular goodwill uh the people had known mary as henry the daughter for over 30 years and they the people did not know jane gray very well at all because this was, you know basically a 15 16 year old girl that had just come into the limelight in the last couple of years so the people understood mary to be their heir they were loyal to her and there was a sort of what historians reter- refer to as a bottom up phenomenon where the common people pressured their their landlords, their bosses, whatever you want to call it, uh, into supporting Mary. Mary's original support was not from the aristocracy. You know, at the outset of Jane's reign, virtually everyone was saying that Mary's cause was a lost cause. And then because the aristocracy wasn't following her. And, and then to everyone's surprise, the common people flocked to her like crazy and said, you know, Earl, so-and-so, you may want me to fight in your army against Mary, but I'm not going to. I'm going to fight in Mary's army against Jane.
3: So what becomes of Lady Jane Grey after she uh, Mary is crowned queen? How does Mary deal with her, essentially?
4: Well, when when Jane's Jane's reign ends on the 19th of of July, when Mary is proclaimed and all support is withdrawn from Jane. So instead of living in the royal apartments, she gets moved across Tower Green, still inside the tower. But she's put into the upper floor of a house that's owned by someone known as the gentleman jailer. And this is literally the guy that runs the jail inside the tower. But Jane is not kept in jail. She's kind of kept in his guest bedroom is what it boils down to. And she stayed there until the day she died. She stayed in that in that room, in that house. And by that, I mean, she was not allowed to go outside even.
3: So what was her trial like? What was she charged uh, with? What What was her crime? What, was she charged along with uh, her husband, Lord
4: Guildford? She was charged along with a whole bunch of people. She, her husband, the Archbishop of Canterbury, Henry Gray, John Gray, a whole bunch of people were charged. A group of them, a small group, Guilford the Archbishop and Jane were charged, were tried on the 13th of November, but that was a pro forma trial. She was charged with treason for having assumed the royal dignity when it was not hers by right. And of course that's a capital offense. And she was, you know, it was a one day trial. She was found guilty. She pleaded guilty. She was found guilty. She was condemned to die. But Mary stayed that execution because they were cousins. And she was, you know, a mere woman who had been duped by the men around her, supposedly. So she remained in prison until February.
3: And what happens that causes Mary to change her mind and uh, to spare her life?
4: Mary was single, unmarried, when she came to the throne, and she ultimately decided to marry Philip of Spain, who was Catholic. Jane was Protestant, and she still had Protestant supporters. In late in January of what we would call 1554, uh, a rebellion arose against Mary's marriage to Philip of Spain, in part because he was Catholic, but more importantly, because he was foreign. And there was great fear that England, he would become king, and in fact did. And there was great fear that England would fall under the dominance of Spain and would become effectively a, a sort of suburban Spanish colony. So Thomas Wyatt and Jane's father raised rebellion, and the rebellion did not succeed. But Philip told Mary, if in, you know, this I'm greatly simplifying here, but basically said to Mary, If you want me to come to England and marry you, Jane Grey has to die. There cannot be any threats against me as King of England. So Jane was executed and Philip did become Philip I of England.
3: What do you think is Lady Jane Grey's legacy? How has she been overlooked in
4: history? I don't think she's been overlooked in history as long as as much as she's been misunderstood, I think historians have fallen into the trap of accepting a lot of the posthumous propaganda that religious reformers put out, and they started to believe a lot of the stage plays and the poems and the folk songs and those sorts of things that invented a lot of what we think we know about Jane Grey. Historians have accepted all of that. As I said, the very authoritative Oxford Dictionary of National Biography says that she was born in October 1537. That claim didn't even appear until about 150 years ago. So I think I think that's the biggest issue we have is that historians have accepted the tradition and failed to question it until recently.
3: So we ask all of our guest experts this question at the end of the day. If you had to pick a person or thing, it could be a concept that you think is to blame for the downfall and execution of Lady Jane Grey, who or what would that be?
4: That's not something you can pin down to a single thing in this particular instance. But I will, if you'll allow me to, I'll go for two. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Part of it was the issue of religion. The there were enough people who did not who were more concerned that the heir should be a child of Henry VIII, that is Mary, than they were about religion. To them, Protestant, Catholic, not a question. The issue was, are they a child of Henry VIII? Mary was. So, you know, issue, religion kind of became a non-issue. The plan was to make Guilford king. Jane Gray didn't go along with that. Mm. By her own account, she just basically stomped her foot and flatly refused and said, no, I will not make him king. And she said this to the core people that were trying to make, you know, continue her reign. And virtually the day she said that is when support for her at the very center began to completely fall apart. So she kind of sabotaged her own reign by saying, no, I'm not going to do things the way you want me to do them. I'm going to be my own boss. I will not be uh, guided by you. And they said, "Okay, fine, we're out of here.
3: Wow. So had she supported Guilford to be king, she could have somehow been in power, perhaps. Who knows?
4: I don't think that's likely. I think the I think the support from Mary as the traditional heir of Henry VIII was so incredibly overwhelming that it almost would not have mattered who Edward had named. Anyone that he named other than Mary would not have succeeded.
3: Mm. Well, thank you so much for uh, helping us understand. You know this somewhat overlooked. A historical figure that we're uh, excited to learn about.
4: She's not well known to the American audience, but I'm hoping that will change.
3: Yeah. (laughs) Thank you, Dr. Edwards.
0: Thank you. My pleasure. (laughs) One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes.
1: Nice dress. Uh, It's a it's a T-shirt.
0: Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care.
3: h-e-l-p dot com slash alarmist with us today we have producer clayton early hello and fact checker chris smith hi I mean, a lot of new information. I'm so glad we got Dr. Edwards, you know, different perspective here. Mm
1: -hmm. Right? I know. Yes, for sure. It feels like we had the wrong history books. (laughs) Yeah, we (laughs) we were more to the story.
3: Well, you know what I really appreciate about it all is that he's, you know, saying like, well, there's not let's not just go with the grain. Let's not just go with what history has said, because that's what we've been saying for years. Right. Mm -hmm. That's that's how that's the narrative. Like, let's actually question a narrative and try and base it off of factual information
1: i think the one of the big takeaways listening to him uh speak about lady jane gray was this idea i mean we knew how smart she was that was definitely something we talked about how many language languages she knew and how studied she was or well-versed however you want to say it it does seem kind of crazy like someone that intelligent would just be like what's going on here like she wouldn't know exactly what they were Oopsie, trying to do to her. Who, me? You know? <laughs>
3: Like, <laughs> a little old, yeah, oh, that makes I, that
1: sounds more logical to me to hearing
3: <laughs> it's true, and I even uh, you know, I believed it. I was like, oh, she was shocked when she found out she was going to be queen,
1: <laughs> right? <laughs> sounds like maybe possibly not,
3: but yeah, it, especially if the plan was you know, also understanding that that marriage to the son of the duke was the you know, highest at the time you know or the you know at, at her same level it wasn't Mm-mm. above her she i think she wanted to marry edward and mm. that was the plan but when that when it was made clear that that was not going to happen you know they looked around and it was like who who can she who's marry that is, who's not below her yeah in mm. status S- status and,
5: <laughs> and look you know dr edward's super helpful in helping us understand the subject and uh he has us he has Hollywood to thank for uh putting him in this uh field of study <laughs> in the first place because it was the crowd he movie. saw that
1: rubbish movie. He <laughs> saw
5: the rubbish movie uh Lady Jane, Helena Bottom Carter. Um, yeah. One of my favorite now I want, actors. I wanna watch it now. I, <laughs> I wanna watch it and see what field of study I, I feel drawn to afterwards. It clearly <laughs> is a springboard for an entire life. I didn't, you know.
3: Yeah, maybe it's the movie. It's not the content. But props to yeah. uh,
5: Helena Bottom Carter and the people. Find people who made. Uh, <laughs> yes, her for, her
1: for. She clearly like, got better. Because yeah, well, for for giving
5: still us Doctor
1: Edwards.
3: Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, she inspired him. Um, she's inspired so many people with her performances. Mm-hmm. Um. Yechling. Something I
1: wrote down, just want to say it because I just liked the, the sound of it. The Gentleman Jailer. We did not talk about The Gentleman Jailer. <laughs> no, we didn't talk but about it. But that was a great title.
3: Can, the, can this be a movie? <laughs> I think <laughs> this is going to inspire you.
1: You should retell the story of Lady Jane Grey through the perspective of The Gentleman Jailer.
3: <laughs> yes, we need more movies about women told from <laughs> the male perspective.
1: <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's exactly what I was getting at. <laughs> Thank you for pointing that out. <laughs> my favorite. T- but I
3: am interested in this gentleman jailer.
1: <laughs> I know. It sounds very dignified. My, um, Probably not. My, my favorite um,
5: detail that Dr. Edward Edwards shared with us was that, and we didn't really talk about this much, but Mary was single, assumed the throne, needed to get her crazy dating life. She went all the way to Spain uh for to marry philip philip was basically the one who said jane's gotta go
3: Mm, a man
5: i mean the way that dr edwards put it was like it was philip king philip was like yeah
3: sure i'll marry you
1: but and also yeah that she just refused to make she was like no almost like like is that self-sabotage or you know like
3: or just like patriarchy we really uh we really overlooked the patriarchy in this one it was, true. it was
5: something lost in translation i mean philip's spanish speaking and um you know maybe you think was
3: he some... was saying in spanish i like her keep her around uh,
5: to, to <laughs> and really uh, or put her to death i mean i don't know do those two words sound similar in spanish
3: no oh okay <laughs> vivir and muerte <laughs> very different very distinct mm. okay i think uh, that's purposefully done um right just so, you know, to remind no our
1: listeners but there the patriarchy was not on the board from no. the original episode but we did throw john dudley uh in jail and we mm. gave henry gray the big slap so we did it, it, there were two men to blame
3: there were two men and but based on dr edward's you know description of john dudley it he per- specifically said that he didn't see his, his actions as scheming.
1: Mm-hmm.
5: Right. It just seems like a natural course of course of action as opposed to some kind of scheme.
1: Yeah. So so what, it really throws off. I mean, there's a lot to reconsider. Yeah. There yeah. is. What so, do where you, Where'd your head go?
3: Where? Sorry. Who did we give the big slap to again?
1: To Henry Grey, Jane's father.
3: Oh, I mean, I do feel like. It is a man to blame, right? Mm -hmm. Although Dr. Edwards did put it on her inability to kind of
1: give up the throne,
3: give up the throne. But can you blame her though?
1: It just—it really just seemed like she was truly the pawn and kind of knew it, right? Like she knew, like it was a bunch of people scheming to get a male heir, right? And there was just no males. So she also, right after that, he said that he
5: doesn't think anybody could have beaten mary just because of mary's popularity right. right and it was fascinating hearing him talk about the bottom up sort of thing yes. that happened where the commoners who just because they knew henry the and they knew uh, mary by association with henry the 8th the commoners were like we want mary we want mary right.
1: who's this jane gray we don't
5: and know and that her. pressure from below is ultimately was the greatest force there in lady jane's fate so
3: i mean are we saying it was the people the the bottom up that really
5: (laughs) yeah we can bring brought her down we could yeah we can blame Blame the masses blame the common english englishman
3: wow yeah
1: um i do want to point out that i'm just looking at our board from the original episode and we did have up here too smart to rule lady jane gray
3: Ooh, she was i i you know I have a lot of respect for her for standing her ground Mm. uh, just at that moment, because I don't know. I mean, I I think you put her next to Elizabeth, too. Both were clearly very smart and had very different approaches to uh, power, right? right? Could
1: have been a great, maybe had a really great reign if she were given the chance. Could have been a really cool queen. Well, if if
5: if she had been less sort of stubborn and saw the writing on the wall, being like, "Oh, the people want Mary. Why don't I wait this out?"
3: Right. She, she w- might
5: not have been, or she might have. She wasn't a great schemer. In, a,
3: in that sense.
5: Sort of lived by her convictions. And,
3: yeah, it's just interesting. Know. Different personalities, you know. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's that's all it is. It's like that. That's what's so interesting about the monarchy to me, which is that. Nowadays, it's like people who are, whatever, govern countries and are politicians are people whose personalities are drawn to that kind of Mm. job. Right. (laughs) Right. Mm. But with the monarchy, it was just like literally where you are, like, in relation to like when you're born. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's just like one family. So you have all these very different personalities.
1: Sure. True.
3: Being, you know, given this massive job uh and different you know and that's why you have so many different uh like not not just monarchs but like decisions during different monarchies
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. they were all groomed i guess but they all are uh, naturally or inevitably themselves yeah it's not they didn't necessarily pick it
3: maybe some of them
1: really wanted it
3: but yes not all of them
1: uh
5: dr edwards also mentioned religion as being one of the things he
3: Right, blamed right, right. For this, so what do, do we blame? Maybe, it, maybe it is religion. Maybe you know we steered away from it, mm-hmm. but maybe it is religion because I like how tied that is to the people. Right,
5: right. He did mention that it wasn't. It was. It was that they preferred just a connection to Henry the Eighth, right. over religion, because they were basically going. With a Catholic and Mary, right? So,
3: can we blame Henry VIII then? Uh,
5: we can. He was, <laughs> he was I, I think we can. I mean,
3: I'm over Mary. You know, for, right? for,
5: for for the tragedy of Lady Jane, Jane Grey specifically, that's where I wanted to go. Is 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 Henry the Henry the Eighth?
3: Okay, so I think this is what we do. I think we send Henry the Eighth to the alarmist jail.
5: I think he might okay. already be there.
3: He is definitely already there multiple times. But and that we we changed the big slap as well to the masses. And I think that I think it's like the patriarchy ingrained in the masses, although they did want a female queen. So perhaps that's incorrect. making that connection. So it's more about lineage, more like wanting to maintain the lineage and not being open minded to like another person who might be good at the job.
1: Yeah, what is that? Just like purity of laziness, or like comfort, like familiarity, you know? Yeah, familiarity, Mm,
3: familiarity. The people's familiarity. The mass. It's like someone who
1: doesn't really do. You know, we're about to vote for. You know, the primaries here in California. It's like if I'm just like, yeah, I'm just going to vote for all the Democrats instead of actually looking at like what everyone represents and see if there's maybe like Mm. a better specific choice it's like people are just not doing their research they're like we know mary we know henry they're fine
3: right 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 okay so let's let's call it the need for familiar <laughs> try to it. come up with what it is the, <laughs> the english
5: the, masses just call it the I, english, english mass.
3: masses need for familiarity okay you're getting the big slap henry VIII. you you're going to the alarmist jail it's always nice when you send henry VIII to the alarmist jail right? He's just Mm -hmm. one of those that you're like, all right, you go. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Um, Okay, well, thanks again to Dr. Edwards uh, for all of his insight. And I just want to remind everyone out there to rate, review and subscribe. I know how many of you there are who listen. And I know that's not reflected in our our, our reviews and our uh, ratings. So please, if you haven't already, take five seconds to uh, rate, review, and subscribe to our show. It really helps us get new ears. <laughs> new, uh-huh. we're, we're in the, in the business of new, new ears. ears. <laughs> yes,
1: we want your ears.
3: <laughs> and tune in because next week we're going to be discussing The Sinking of General Slocum.
0: Here
4: he powered
3: by a